Go on ahead and grab your Bible and open up to Galatians chapter 4. Here in Galatians, we've, uh, we've seen that the Apostle Paul, he's, he's all about one thing. There's, there's one thing on Paul's mind. He's consumed with one idea. Help me out here. It starts with the letter G. Paul is all about one thing. What is it? The gospel. Paul is all about the gospel. I heard grace, maybe Jesus, maybe God. Um, those are things that, that are part of the gospel, faith and grace, justification, salvation. Those are they're part of it, but Paul is all about the gospel. And here in chapters 2 and chapter 3, we saw that, that Paul, he's, he's talking about this idea of justification, right? We've been camping out on this term justification, that, that because of Christ, God has forgiven our sins. Because of Christ, who, who paid our pardoned, who, who ransomed us from the penalty of our sins, our death, because of Christ, we have been imputed with God's righteousness, We've seen that we are tattooed, that we are covered, that, that we are filled, we are full with Christ's righteousness. And this means that, that when God sees us, when, when God looks down and sees us, he sees us as his son, Christ. This means in, in justification that, that when God sees us, he sees Christ. God is the judge. He sees Christ in us. But now as we get to chapter 4, it's not just about being right with God. It's not just about God as the judge. Chapter 4, today we're going to see God is our Father. And that brings on a whole new perspective of our salvation. It's not just about being right with God. It's now about having God as our Father. God who has taken us in, who has accepted us, who has brought us to himself and included us in the family of God. For us, welcome to the family. There's a big difference between seeing God as a judge and now seeing God as a father. As we begin to wrap our mind around this idea of, of adoption and, and being included into the family of God, watch this video testimony of Julie Cruzan. My name is Julie Cruzan, and I'm married to Paul Cruzan. We've been married about 11 years and we have um, four children. And I'm just here to talk about adoption. Um, I was adopted when I was six months old from South Korea. Growing up, adoption has always been there. There was never a time in my life where my parents sat me down and said, you're adopted. I've always known that it's just a part of our life and um, a part of our family. I was very, very fortunate to be able to grow up in a Christian home where uh, we went to church every Sunday and um, we prayed and that God was really a center of our family. Um, I think the thing as I've gotten older that has put more perspective on it, I could go days when I was younger not even know that I would think about adoption or think about um, that I was different, that I looked different from the rest of my family or from even those around us. But I think the most important thing that I've learned as I've gotten older is just the sovereignty of Christ that, you know, everything I do or the people that I come in contact with, like God has known us. You know, God placed me from clear around the world to here and he knows. I mean, he, he knows from now and he knows from 10 years and now to 15. 
So as I go over, nothing is coincidence to me. And I think adoption really brings that to the forefront that it's not coincidental that I'm here. Or it's not coincidental that, you know, I've come in contact with these people. Or it's not coincidental that I'm here at this church. There are all these things that aren't coincidental. They're definitely in God's plan. We chose to adopt children um, just because we felt like it was a natural step for adoption for us. It's been such a wonderful experience to me. Um, about four years ago, we adopted Rose from South Korea, and it was the first time I was able to go back, actually go back to Korea. As adults, we were able to go back and open our files. And because it was so far back um, in the 70s, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of information, but there was maybe going to be some tidbits that we could look back on. So we went, went to the main office, opened up our files, um, and the thing about me that struck me was they were very specific on how they found me. And what had happened is that my birth mother or birth father had left me on a street corner and a passerby found me and took me to a police station. And that was very common in those times to leave babies in common in places where they could be found so they could be taken um, to like the police stations and then go to orphanages or homes. So from there I went to a children's home in Seoul and then I was fortunate enough to go to an actual foster mom for three months. So they had pictures of my foster mom. And so it was really surreal to think back that you know I was left someplace but I was found. And that just to me is just amazing and once again just just the sovereignty and the goodness and the greatness of our God and that that he knows he he knew where I needed to be you know he knew where I needed to grow and so it's just amazing to me about how God sent us and right now I'm I'm just so proud of of who I am I'm the daughter of Rick and Candy know that they chose me and they went to all the effort and went to um, all the extremes to bring me into their house and, and to love me and to want me and and that I'm their daughter it doesn't matter where I came from whether I was left on a street corner or you know whether I was in a hospital or whether it didn't matter my past it didn't matter where I come from they just accepted me with open arms and they just loved me as as they would a biological child What a testimony. Left on a street corner. And then taken to the police station, and then an orphanage, and then a foster mom, and, and then adoptive parents. I love Julie's words at the end. She says, I am the daughter of Rick and Candy. They chose me. They went to all the effort, all the extremes to, to bring me into their house to love me. I am their daughter, and it doesn't matter where I come from. They accept me with open arms. They love me like their own child. And I think for this text, for Galatians today, there's, there's no better way to say it than that, that I am the son of God, that God has adopted me into his family. He chose me. He went to all the effort, all the extremes to, to bring me into his house and to love me. And I am God's son, and it doesn't matter where I come from. God has accepted me with open arms. God loves me as his own child. As we look to the text today, Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, we have an incredible privilege 
in being adopted into the family of God. Verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the first century, inheritance was passed down from the father to the son. The entire family business, the family house, the farm, the crops, the field, the livestock, all the possessions, all the stuff a family owned was passed down from a father to a son. And that's why having a, a son, having a firstborn son was, was so important in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. However, inheritance, it wasn't passed down. It wasn't just given to the kids, to the son, until they came of a certain age, you know, until they grew up and they were old enough. There's probably a lot of wisdom here, you know, not giving the family farm to some 11-year-old, but the child, he was under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So what happened, you know, the father, he would set a date, he would pick a date for his son. Let's say the son's 18th birthday, that's when he officially received his inheritance. That's when he officially be, became a, an adult. He was no longer a minor. He was no longer under his guardians. He was no longer a child. He became an adult. He received his inheritance from his father. But when the child was 10 or 11 or 15, 16, even 17, even though he was the son, he was the rightful heir, he was the owner of everything, he wasn't 18. He, he wasn't old enough. And so even though he was the son, you know, it says he was basically the same as a slave. There, there was no difference. He didn't own anything until he came of age. He had to grow up. He had to get that age set by his dad. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. world. This phrase, elementary principles, or basic principles, it has this idea of the, the rudimentary elements, the, the building blocks, the, the letters of the alphabet in a line. And here Paul is, is creating this analogy. He is saying to us that uh, the Galatians, it, it's like the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, where Israel, they were enslaved to the letters of the law. Israel was enslaved to the alphabet, the ABCs of the law, learning what was right and wrong. For 1,500 years, Israel was in kindergarten. They were learning the law. But they had to stay in kindergarten. They, they could never go on to the next grade be, because they didn't grow up. It's saying they, they had to stay there in kindergarten because they didn't spiritually come of age. They couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep the Old Testament. And so they had to stay in kindergarten. They had to stay with the ABCs of the law 1,500 years, year after year after year, because they could not keep the law. And here Paul is saying for, for the Galatians, now that they have grown up, now that they are adults, now that they are older, they're, they're not minors. They need to get out of kindergarten. And so why would you relapse in your faith? Why would you go back to the ABCs of the law, go back to kindergarten when, when now you're, you're an adult son? You're an heir to God. Why would you go back to the ABCs to try to learn the law? With the coming of Christ, everything has changed, and, and God's people have spiritually come of age and are now ready to receive their inheritance Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. I love this, the fullness of time, the perfect moments in history, the exact second that God had planned, Christ was born the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He was born, it says, he was born for two reasons, according to verse 5. First, to redeem us from the law. Like every other Jew, Jesus was born into the law. And so he was obligated to keep the law. He was judged by the law. But unlike any other Jew, unlike any other person, Christ actually kept the law. He was perfect. He was sinless. And so because he had no shame, no sin, no guilt, he was able to redeem us from the law. He was able to to buy us back. See, the word redeemed, it it literally means to, to buy out or to buy back. It was a common word used in the marketplace for slaves. And so a slave, if, if they were able to, to come up with enough money, they could purchase themselves. They could buy themselves out of slavery. They could buy back their freedom. Here, Christ has come to purchase us. Christ has paid the price to buy us out of the law to set us free. Christ has paid the penalty. He's paid the ransom for us. The Old Testament says that that Christ, that Jesus, he was like a pure, a spotless lamb without blemish, without defect. He was able to redeem us because he was sinless. He was perfect. He was able to buy us back from our sins. But not only did Christ redeem us, it goes on to say that, that we were also adopted as sons. Christ came to adopt us. In the Roman world, a wealthy family, they would, uh, they would adopt a child. They would adopt and buy a slave if they did not have a son of their own. If a family did not have an heir, they would go to the marketplace and, and they would pay the required price and they would buy out a son, buy out a slave, make them their own. And this isn't like a, a half-son. The, the family didn't look at this. This child as like a stepson. This was 100% became their son. For me, this is how the book of Galatians has, has really come together and just begun to make a lot of sense. See, in justification, chapter 2, chapter 3, we are justified, and we are now seen as Christ. When God looks at us, he sees Christ tattooed all over us. We are covered with Christ. But it's not just that. We are also the sons of God. When God looks at us, not only does he see us as his son, Christ, he now sees us as his very own sons, not like stepsons, not like half-sons, 100% the sons of God. Justification, it meets our, our spiritual need where we're no longer separated from God. Remember the, the big chasm where we're over here canoeing in the lake and God is over here? Justification makes it so we're no longer separated from God, but there's a big difference between just not being separated and it now being in the family of God, being included, being the son of God, where God is the judge and, and he judges us in justification, but now God is our father and he accepts us. He, he takes us in. He has bought us out, made us his own children. That is how God views us. It's not just him as the king, the the judge on the throne. It's now God standing with wide open arms waiting to receive us, 
to adopt us, to make us his children. And justification, it's amazing of how God can, can now make our relationship right with him. But adoption, that takes that relationship to a whole new level where we are now the children, the, the sons of God, the family of God. I don't know if you're wondering, but uh, you know, all this talk about being the sons of God, what about the ladies, right? Is this kind of sexist? What's this all about? What about the ladies? Well, here Paul is borrowing this analogy of, of Roman adoption. He, he's taking his, his culture from his day and applying the principles to this text. And, and back in the first century, daughters did not have the same privileges as sons. Daughters could not receive the family farm. They, they couldn't get the business. They couldn't get the house. Daughters were not given all of the family's inheritance. And so if Paul, being you know, maybe politically correct, if he would have said, in coming to Christ, we are now the sons and daughters of God, Paul would have completely just, just weakened his whole argument. And so here, using the strongest words possible to talk about our, our privilege with God, God talks to us as now the sons of God, inferring and, and implying men and women but we are the sons of God. In the strongest words possible, Paul makes it crystal clear that we have this incredible privilege. We're not just like half-sons, step-sons. We are 100% the sons of God. We are the rightful heirs to what we will receive. In verse 6, because you are son, be, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. We've heard of this Abba Father before, and we usually picture this, this child, you know, this equivalent of, of talking about daddy. You know, this child running up and grabbing the pant leg and, you know, crying out, Daddy, Daddy. But here in this text, Paul is, is talking about it's, this isn't childish. We are now becoming of age, we are now growing up. In being a son, we are now becoming an adult. It's, it's not this, this childish term. It's the exact opposite. It's, it's not this, this term to define immaturity, but this is a, a picture. It's a proof of our, our intimacy with God. See, a slave or a servant or the extended family, they could never say to the head of the household, to the dad, they could never say, Abba, Father. They could never cry out and call him Daddy because they weren't the sons, they weren't the, the daughters, they weren't the true children. But for us, the proof of our, our relation with God, God is our actual Father. We can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. We can cry out to Him, Daddy, Daddy, and He hears us. God is the Father with open arms. He, he loves us. He, he cares for us. He knows us. He wants to be having this, this family with us. God has, has chosen us, and Christ has paid the price for us. He has redeemed us from the, the status of, of slaves to, to now the, the heirs, the, the sons. God has accepted us, and, and here it says that, that God is, is living within us. God, the Spirit, within our hearts, crying out to God, screaming out to God. God sees us as his sons. He cares for us. He hears us. He knows us. He relates to us. God loves us because we are his children. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
we started out as, as slaves to the law, but God came and redeemed us through his son Christ, bought us back, paid the penalty for us, purchased our life. And so God has now accepted us. He's justified us, yes, but he's now accepted us into his family, taken us as his own. And now we are the rightful heirs spiritually where we're of age, where we've grown up, and now we're the rightful heirs to the inheritance of God. This inheritance, it's not like the, the, the family china. You know, it's not the, the lake house or the savings account. The, this inheritance that we receive from God and being the children of God. This inheritance, it's, it's our new relationship. It's, it's being adopted into the family of God. This inheritance, if, if you have nailed the stake into the ground and received Christ as your Savior, now God sees your relationship with Him not only as, as together, but now as, as family, as, as being one family unit, as being His, his son. And going back to Julie Cruzan's story of adoption and receiving Christ, I am now the son of God. He chose me. He went to all the effort, all the extremes to, to bring me into his home and to love me. God, I am God's son. No matter where I came from, he is standing with open arms to receive me. God loves me as he loves his own child. Incredible privilege and justification, but also adoption, being adopted into the family of God. But the Galatians just as they didn't really get justification, they're not really getting this whole idea of adoption. The Galatians had a problem, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, I love this, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. Verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. Once the Galatians, they worshiped these false gods, but then Paul came to them, gave them the gospel, shared the freedom of Christ with them. And verse 9 says, they, they became known by God. They went from being the slaves of the law to now the sons of God. But now the problem is they, they have now grown up. They, they have now been adopted. They, they are now of age. But they want to go back to kindergarten. They want to go back to the ABCs of the law. They've grown up. They're, they're no longer a minor. But they want to go back to being this, this child under a guardian, under the manager. And, and Paul's like, seriously? Like, what are you doing? God has accepted you. God has adopted you. Christ has redeemed you. Why are you going back to the law? Don't you want your inheritance? I mean, you are now the son of God. Why would you go back to being a slave with nothing? Paul's like, are, are you stinking kidding me? Like, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, he has accepted you. He has adopted you. You're in his family. You are his son. You have your inheritance. And God the flesh, Jesus, the, the second person of the Trinity, he has came and he has fulfilled the law. He has died for you. 
And, and God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it's, it's indwelling, it's living inside you, it's crying out, Abba, Father, it's living within your heart. You have God, the Father, you have Jesus as your brother, you have the Spirit living within you, and you want to go back to the, to the legalism of the law? Paul's like, you want to walk out on the family of God, God the Father, Jesus as your brother, Christ, the, the Holy Spirit within you, and, and you want to go back to the law? Paul's just like, this, this doesn't make sense. Why are you walking out on, on the family of God? This is a huge problem. Verse 11, I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. I think for us, you know, maybe you're a parent with a, maybe a disobedient child, or, or maybe you're a small group leader who's been working with your group, and it, it's just not clicking, it's just not working. Maybe you've been encouraging somebody or counseling somebody, or maybe you're a, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, a friend, a neighbor, and, and you've been downloading the gospel into somebody else, and they just don't get it. You know, maybe you've been investing your, your nights or your mornings, your weekends, pouring your own time into somebody else, and they're not willing to change for Christ. Or maybe they're not willing to commit to Christ. They're, they're not willing to take that next step, that, that step of faith, and come to Christ. Paul gets it. Paul, Paul knows where you're at. Paul has been pouring into these Galatians. He's been downloading in them. He's been sharing his life with them, and they're just walking out on him. They're just walking out, giving up all, all of the history that Paul has had with these people. I don't think for us there, there's nothing more, more crushing or, or disappointing than to be pouring into somebody and just having them walk away and just abandon and forget it all. And Paul's like, for us, he gets it. He knows what it's like to be investing in somebody and having this feeling, is this, is this going anywhere? Is this worth it? Is this in vain? Is this just a huge waste of time sharing Christ with this person? Paul gets it. But Paul doesn't give up. Paul doesn't just stop there. Paul pleads with these Galatians to come back to their senses, to come back to see their, their eternal inheritance, their, their sonship, the, the family of God. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Here Paul's addressing their attitudes. He, he's saying, put yourself in my shoes, put yourself in my place, become as I am, for I also have become as you are, and you did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. See, Paul never intentionally set out to, to preach the gospel or to disciple the Galatians. It's not like Paul's saying, you know, I've been to Ephesus, and I've been to Corinth, and I've been to the city of Philippi. I've, I've been these places. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to Galatia. You know, maybe I'll try there. No, it was because of a bodily ailment that Paul ended up in Galatia. And we don't really know exactly maybe uh, what this, this ailment was, uh, but we do know from the book of Acts, as we see Paul and his missionary journeys in the region of Galatia, we do know a little bit of Paul's history. We, we know his, his story of, of what happened to him. This ailment, it, it could be like an illness, or it could be more of a, a medical condition that, that was caused by intense persecution. See, Paul was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles in the region of Galatia. 
And he was telling these, uh, these Gentiles that there is freedom in Christ. Don't follow the Jews and the legalism to the law. There, there is freedom in Christ Jesus. Well, the Jews, they didn't really like this. And so they kicked Paul out of the city as Paul came in and preached to the, the Gentiles. Paul in, in Acts 14 was kicked out of Antioch. And so following Antioch, Paul went to the city of Iconium, Acts 14. And, and again, he was preaching this message of, of freedom in Christ. And there in, in, in the city of, of Iconium, Paul caught wind. He, he heard that, that the Jews were, were planning to stone him. The Jews had, had organized a, a plan to kill him. So Paul fled the city. He, he ran out of uh, Iconium, and he went to the next city, Lystra. And here in Lystra, Acts 14, the Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium and persuaded the crowds, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. See, this bodily ailment that, that resulted in Paul coming to the Galatians, it's not just like this, this running nose. It's not just like this, this little sickness or illness. No, Paul was, was stoned by rocks he was black and blue, massive head trauma. They thought he was dead. He was knocked out unconscious, and so they took him out of the city thinking he was dead. That is the ailment that, that Paul went to these Galatians, and they didn't despise him. They didn't scorn him. They didn't reject him. They, they received him as they would Christ himself. Paul, his medical condition, I mean, he is black and blue. He is beat up. He is cut up oozing blood, head injuries, and they received him as they would receive Christ. Verse 15, what then has become of the blessing you felt? Paul saying, Where, where's your joy? Where's your happiness? What happened to the blessing when, when I first preached Christ to you and the freedom and you were so happy? Where did that go? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. The Galatians, they, they weren't really going to take out their eyeballs and give them to Paul, but Paul's making this point. You, you would have done anything for me. You would have gone to extreme measures to, to help me. You were so happy. You loved me. You received me. The attitude of the Galatians has changed. We've seen in the book they have been tricked by the Jews. They have been deceived. They have been misled. And Paul's like, you were so happy. You would have done anything for me. And now... Verse 16, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul's like, I'm not lying to you. I am a truth teller. I am telling you the truth. Have I become an enemy? Do you hate me that much? You were so happy. You would have done anything for me, but you've been misled. You've been corrupted by these Jews. Verse 17, they make much of you, the, the Jews, the jealous Judaizers. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. They want to alienate you that you, may, may, that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. Paul is saying these, these Judaizers, they are winning you over. They are seducing you. This idea of they make much of you, this was uh, used when, when a young man was courting a woman. And here he, he's all romantic, you know, he's, he's writing love notes, he's buying flowers, he's saying the right things, he's doing the right stuff. But then after the honeymoon is over, it's like, who, who is this guy? These, these 
uh, these Jews, these jealous Judaizers, they are misleading and deceiving. They are seducing. They are, are, are taking the Gentiles, the Galatians, away from their faith in Christ. And Paul's like, why are you listening to these guys? Verse 19, my little children for whom I again for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul's reminding these Galatians that they've already experienced salvation. They've, they've already been born again. They don't need to be reborn again. This is like a mother who has to deliver the, the same child twice. That's, that's not supposed to happen. Paul's in pain as he's agonizing over these Galatians and, and their relapse of their faith. But he's saying, I'm not going to give up. I love the end of verse 19. Christ is formed in you. Paul's not giving up until Christ is formed in you. This word formed has the picture of of the womb and a, a tiny little fetus growing and developing and maturing and becoming an an infant. And here, Paul is saying, I want to see you as as these baby Christians, as these infant Christians, growing up into the form of Christ, growing up and maturing in your faith and taking on the shape, the, the appearance of Christ. I want you to be growing up in your attitude, being more like Jesus. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. Paul's just, he's at his end. He is confused. He doesn't get why are they doing this. For us as as Christian believers, we have been adopted into God's family. We have been forgiven. We have been pardoned, imputed, and we have been adopted. We are the children, the, the sons of God. And it's by our faith we first come to Christ and we are saved. But over time and spending time as as the family of God, our faith, it it must progress. It must grow and develop. Our our faith must begin to change our life so that we look more like Christ, so that we take on the the form, the appearance, the the shape of of Jesus himself. Coming to Christ is, is all about grace and faith. But in taking on the shape of Christ, in, in being conformed to Christ, that takes work. That takes effort. For these Galatians, they thought they could earn their salvation by their effort, by their work. And we've seen Paul's like, no, 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 you cannot earn salvation. You cannot earn favor from God by what you do. But after coming to faith in Christ... It is by work, it is by effort that we grow in our faith. We're not saved by by effort, but we are sanctified. We we do become more like Christ because of what we do. And I think for us, we we can't be so paralyzed with this idea of of grace and and faith, and and we can't do anything. We've just got to sit still and just believe and just have faith. No, the Christian life, it, it takes work. The Christian life takes, takes effort. For the Galatians, they were trying to earn. We can't earn it. But after faith, through grace, once we are saved, it is about effort and us putting forth the work to become more like Christ. Just last three things. 
for us being adopted into God's family. Are you owning it? Is it yours? Is it real? Are you in the family of God? Have you drove the stake into the ground and accepted that you are now justified? You are the the son of God adopted into the family of God. Have you made that commitment of, of ownership? Do you own it? Are you growing in it? If you've come to Christ, are you now growing in your faith? Are you maturing? Are you developing? Are you getting older in your faith? Are you taking on this this image, the the form, the shape, the appearance of, of Christ himself? And are you working at it? The Christian life takes effort. The Christian life takes, takes work. And we're not saved by effort. We're not saved by work. But we are sanctified. We become more like Christ by what we do. And so are you working at it? Something I love about Harvest is, is we are a discipleship church. And what that means is, is we want to come alongside people. We don't think it's, it's meaningless. We don't think it's, it's in vain. We want to come alongside people and help people to own their faith, to receive Christ. We want to come alongside people and help them grow in their faith and to be working at their faith. Here at Harvest, we want to be a disciple-making church where, where we are willing to put forth the effort, where we want to work at it, where we want to become more like Christ. Christ is our brother. God is our father. The spirit is alive within us. We want to be more like God. We want to look more like Christ. We want to be calling out to God as our father because we know he loves us. He knows us. He hears us. He sees us. He's with us. He can relate to us. And so we put forth the effort. We put forth the work. Let's pray.